Tzoraim Tov to all our friends and members of the Westmount Shul. If you're wondering why the Erev Shabbos Drush is coming so late on a Thursday, it's because Baruch Hashem, my wife and I were able to attend the wedding of Yoni Levin, the son of our members, Martin and Serena Levin. The wedding was in New York. And Baruch Hashem, we flew in yesterday, flew back today, and we're just a little behind schedule, but Baruch Hashem all is well, and it's a wonderful thing to share in simchas with people of our community. This week's Parsha, uh, Parsha's Vayigash, talks about the very emotional reunification of Yosef and his family. And when Yosef sends wagons to bring his father back, and his father was not sure if Yosef, being away for 22 years, still was holding on to his Judaism in the way he had it before he left. The Pusik says, agalos, And he saw the, the agalos, which can be meant as the wagons, uh, we'll do that simple meaning. Asher Sholach Yosef, which Yosef sent Loseis also to carry him. And once he saw the wagons, ah, then he understood that Yosef was on the right tracks. He never, he never felt. And the Shemi Shmuel asks two questions. Number one, the obvious question that everybody asks is what was so special about seeing the wagons that revived Yaakov's soul that now he knew for sure that Yosef, after being away for 22 years, still remained steadfast with his faith. And second, more of a technical question, it should have said when he saw the wagons that Yosef sent Lahoridoso to take his father down, uh, as it said earlier, when Yosef said, let's bring our father down to Mitzrayim, because since Eretz Yisrael is higher than the other lands, and we have the constant use of descending to the land, made used many times, so why doesn't it say the same thing over here, which Yosef sent to bring his father down? Why does it say, Lasseis, to bring him up? These are the two questions regarding this Parsha. Now, there's another issue we need to discuss. And that issue is, we're coming up this Tuesday, coming Tuesday, is the 10th of Teves. Asar Teves is one of the fasts that we have to commemorate the destruction of the Beis Amigdosh. And just to refresh our memories, the 10th of Teves was when the wicked Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Eretz to to Yerushalayim, that subsequently, two and a half years later, the Beis Hamikdash would be destroyed, and we have a number of fast days that relate to the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. Tisha B'av, when it was destroyed, seventeenth of Thomas, when the walls were breached, Tzom Gedalia, when Gedalia ben Achikam was murdered, and you have this one of the tenth of Teves. Now, of the four, it would seem that the least uh, horrific was the 10th of Teves. Why? Because it would still be another two and a half years till anything would happen. 
Only later did things really get bad. So the fact that we're commemorating this, it's very interesting. This is what the prophet Yechezkel tells us. He says in the name of Hashem, Hashem gives him a prophecy. And the, and the specific date is given in the ninth year of the king Sidkeyahu's rule. And the tenth month of the tenth day, Hashem tells Yechezkel, write down what's going to happen. And Etzem Hayom said this, the essence of this day, Somach Melech Babel Yerushalayim, the king Yerushalayim, has laid siege to Yerushalayim. This is the way the prophet Yechezkel tells us this. Now, there's a very interesting statement of one of the early Svartic medieval commentaries called the Abudraham. And the Abudraham says that all the fast days, if they would come out on Shabbos, get pushed off. And we don't fast on Shabbos, we precede it to uh, uh, Thursday before. The uh, And also, any other fast can never come out on a Friday. Except for the 10th of Tevis, which can come out on a Friday and has come out on Fridays, not this year. And he also says that when they would set the calendar by visual sighting, if the 10th of Tevis would have come out on a Shabbos, we would fast on Shabbos. And that's a great insight to which the Beis Yosef says, I don't know where the Abudraham got this idea. There's a lot of discussion about this Abudraham. The, and there's like ma- three main questions. Is why are we so strict about a Surabateves, according to Abudraham, that if it was Shabbos, we would fast? Why are we more strict about this, which seems to be a much lighter type of commemorative event? Number two, as we say in Talmudic parlance, Lamainaf Gemina, what does it matter? It's not something that's ever going to happen. Because when Mashiach comes, we're not going to have uh, these sad occasions again. So why is Abu Draham giving us a theoretical point? And another question is, we know that fasting is only rabbinic, while Onik Shabbos, delighting in Shabbos, is biblical. So since when can the Abu Draham say that if a tenth of Tevis came out on Shabbos, the rabbinic fasting would push off the biblical delight of Shabbos? Which is, which, and part of the lighting is that you don't fast. You have to eat nice food. These are the main questions. There's a number of answers that are given to this question. I just want to share a couple with you. The famous answer is, well, since this was cast the die and was the beginning of the end, so all beginnings are significant. And when we already saw the beginning of the end, that already foretold a terrible ending. The other Mephorshim explained a little better or deeper that this was sort of like a preemptive judgment. We know, for example, there's an idea of a, t- a halom. If you have a very scary dream that's really shaking you up, there is a custom for some people to fast. And the fasting will take away the negative, um, futuristic, potentially futuristic um, notion of what that dream is bringing to us. 
It's called a Ta'anis Chalom. It's a fast after a very scary dream. Nowadays, we do Hataras Chalom. We try to just nullify the dream. But uh, we, uh, but there is a concept of, of Tanis Chalom. And why? Why can you, but, and even, even to fast on Shabbos. Why? How can you do that on Shabbos? The answer is Shabbos has to be an Oneg. And if the fasting is something that takes away the terrible foreboding of, of, of judgment on the person, the greatest pleasure is that the person would fast. So too, we could say that when the negative, the terrible king Nebuchadnezzar surrounded Jerusalem, it was t- giving us, it's like a dream, so to speak. Say, listen, bad stuff's happening. We can still reverse the course. And we understand, as the Rambam teaches us, that nowadays when we fast for all the different fasts, the fasts are for a purpose. The fasts are, we don't have a base Migdash. And we have to uncover the source, the cause of why things have not returned back to the way they are. And we should do tshuva for this. And the Rambam is saying, instead of treating the symptoms and to prevent future tsaris, we need to look at what the core issues are and awaken our hearts and to not look at life as just things are just happening just happening, bad mazel and all these things, we have to realize the fact we don't have a base of Mingdish, the fact that we're still in Golos is, is because there's certain things that have to be repaired. And Rabbi Yishlam wants us to repair it. And just like on the 10th of Teves, where it was foreboding terrible things were going to happen, but we still had an opportunity to reverse it. And therefore, since we still live in the Golos, and we know, as we mentioned in a previous Parsha class, when we say, Shira Malos, Hashem, Shiva, Sin, that Golos is like a dream. And the Hasidic uh, Rebbe's explain, what does it mean, Golos is like a dream? Well, what's so <coughs> interesting about a dream? And a dream, opposites can happen at the same time. The impossible can happen. You could see an elephant flying. You could see an elephant going through a pinhole. That's the idea of a dream, because... It's not the, going according to the rules of nature, so to speak. Golos is also like a dream. Why is Golos like a dream? Because you could have a Jew who prays so hard and, and loves HaKadosh Baruch Hu and will do so much for Hashem, who will be even willing to die for Hashem. Yet at the same time, the HR can trick us to do terrible averas we should not be doing. How can we live at this contradiction at the same time? And the answer is, because it's like a dream. Sometimes we act like a dream. And therefore we understand that when we're in this terrible dream, and it's a terrible dream. And just like there's a concept of fasting to undo the effects of a terrible dream, we're dreaming and dreaming a whole year of of what it means to live in Golos. To live in Golos, to on the one hand love Hashem, and then to be influenced, unfortunately, by the Golos and to do things that People who love Hashem would not be doing. And therefore, we start with a Sarabateves, because it's the beginning. But to take it a little bit deeper, the Marshoi explains that the Shekhinah, the divine presence, the feeling of Hashem's presence, before the Beis Amigdash was destroyed, it took 10 trips, 10 stops 
from different places, from the holiest of holies to a less holy part of the base of Migdash to a less holy part, and then from Yerushalayim, it left Yerushalayim and took other trips till it eventually left there at Yisrael. Ten trips. Now, one of the trips is when it left Yerushalayim and went into the desert. And we are told by the Marshaw commentary, the Gemara Shoshona and Daflamid Aleph, if you make certain calculations, that from the trip that it left Yerushalayim and went into the desert, it was six months. Hashem was waiting to see if we were going to do tshuva. And if you calculate six months from when the Beis Amigdash was uh, uh, breached, you will find the, that day that the Shechina left was on the 10th of Teves. The Shechina left us on the 10th of Teves. It's a day of histalkus hashchina from Yerushalayim. Imagine what it was to live in Yerushalayim even till nearly the end. There were 10 miracles that happened in Yerushalayim. There was, there was prophecy. Every Jew, even if he was a sinner, felt the Shekhinah in a direct and a clear way. But when that Shekhinah left, that clarity was left us. And we're still suffering from that loss of the Shekhinah, from that protection, not just protection from our enemies, but protections to keep our purity and saintliness in check. And unfortunately, we now live in a world that does not have that kind of security, security, physical security, and certainly spiritual security. When we had a wall that would protect us, that wall was a physical protection, but it also was a spiritual protection. And once that wall was surrounded, once it was sieged, and the Shekhinah waited, but then six months before, in other words, they laid siege, Two and a half years before the base of Mesh was destroyed. Then two years later, on again, the 10th of Teves, the Shekhinah left. And now it's just a matter of time. And the 10th of Teves was this great breach of us who knew that Hashem fills all realities and surrounds all realities. And what was, what happened? That Shekhinah left. And once that Shekhinah left, so much protection leaves us. So much clarity leaves us. To put it in a simpler way, we know there's a body and a soul. There's Yerushalayim and body, that's the temple. But then the soul of Yerushalayim is the Shekhinah. So the Churban of the Shekhinah of Yerushalayim, that left on the 10th of Teve, six months before the base of Migdash was physically destroyed. The physical destruction was the 9th of Av. The ninth of all, the physical destruction. Now we can understand better that even if Tishabov calls up, comes out on Shabbos, it does not push off the Shabbos. Why? Because Tishabov is only the physical Khurban. And the physical Khurban does not push off the spiritual Shabbos. But if the tenth of Teves would come out on Shabbos, because the tenth of Teves is the Neshama of the Beis Amigdash, the Neshama of Yerushalayim, when that was lost, that pushes off even Shabbos, because Shabbos is what is the neshama. But when the neshama was destroyed, that even pushes off Shabbos. It's similar to how building the base on Migdash could not push off Shabbos, because it's only a physical building, but doing the avoda, the service of the karbanos, the carbon tummy, is done on Shabbos because that's a spiritual reality. So what do we have this day? 
of the tenth of Teves. It's not just remembering that they were laying siege on us. But you have to remember that two years after the siege, on the 10th of Teves, the Shekhinah left, and all our clarity left with it. And the Rambam tells us the fasts are to get to the core issue. And what's the core issue? That our, that our sins took away the Shekhinah. We were no longer living in the aspect of Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Tamid. Hashem's presence is palpable in for, in before me. And therefore, we have to tr- our avoda on the tenth of Teves, and the Shabbos coming in before the tenth of Teves, is to get us back to that place when the Shechina was there and life was simpler. What I mean, simpler, clearer. We could understand what we'd have to do. They tell a story with the Katska Rebbe, who came from originally from the city in Europe of Tomashov, and he left and he became the great Katska Rebbe. And now when he came back to visit Tomashov, everybody wanted to have the opportunity for him to stay in their house for Shabbos. Obviously, the very wealthy people who had beautiful homes wanted to have the schus, to have the tzaddik stay by him. But instead, the tzaddik disappointed all the rich people and stayed by one of the poorest people in the town. And who was that poor person? He stayed by his first malamed, his first teacher who taught him olive base. And people were shocked. Why would he go to them? So they asked him. And he said the following. He says, you know, once I really started studying Torah, boy, is it hard. Boy, there's so much confusion. There's so many arguments, so many machlokasim. I try my hardest to get clarity in halacha and all that stuff. But there's one person who taught me things that was completely true without any arguments. That was my original Aleph Bey's Rebbe. When he taught me an Aleph, an Aleph's an Aleph, no machloikis. A Bey's is a Bey's, no machloikis. And therefore I want to go back to him because he taught me the biggest clarity in the world. And that's what we should feel that we're missing. We, all of us, are making mistakes in our Vodas Hashem and we certainly want Mashiach to come. We don't want all our, these tsarists that come because we lack clarity. And how do we get that clarity back? Is when the Shechina will come back. But the Shechina will only come back when we're interested in the Shechina coming back. If we're not interested in the Shechina coming back, if we don't feel that that is missing in our lives, then, you know, and Hashem is pervasive in his reality and what he does for us and, and the things he does to make us the best people we can. And we get so confused so therefore, what's so unique about the 10th of Teves that we would even fast on Shabbos, even though we, we can't fast on the Sarah Teves on Shabbos, but we would on a Friday, and we've done it. It's not the whole Nisham of Klal Yisrael got ripped out. The Shechina got ripped out six months before the destruction. It's not the destruction of the temple. It's the self-destruction of our Lack of affection and connection to Kaddish Baruch Hu. This is what makes the 10th of Teves many, unfortunately, it's not such a big fast day because it's short. It starts early in the morning and ends early in the evening. Don't let that shortness fool you. That's the first symbol that we were going downhill. And then two years later, it was even worse that said that the Shekhinah totally left. And when the Shekhinah leaves, just like we are now, 
we're groping in the darkness. We're dro groping in these dreams. We're living a dream reality. Only in your dreams can you have such a schizophrenic spiritual existence. You hear so many people, they say they're so close to Hashem. They're so close to Hashem. They're so, they feel they're so close to Hashem. Yet unfortunately, they cannot overcome the challenges of keeping Shabbos. They cannot overcome the, the, the challenges of keeping kashrus. They cannot overcome the challenges of guarding their eyes from seeing things they should not see, overcoming the challenges of Lashon Hara. We are, we're good people. We want to be good people. But when the Shekhinah is gone, we're so confused. And the Rambam says those who don't fast and don't think about the spiritual underpinnings of what's going on in our Jewish history are really cruel people because we could stop the suffering. We wouldn't have to have such long Nishaberach lists for sick people. But we get caught up in the in the confusion. And the 10th of Teves is that day to get back to that. Let me take you one step further to perhaps explain this just a little deeper with the insight from the number of Svarim. It's an interesting word that is used by the prophet when he talks about the siege that happened. It says right about this day where Samach Melech Bavel El Yerushalayim Samach here means laid siege. The king of Bava laid siege. But the word Samach is so unusual. There are other words to say there's a siege. And Samach also comes from the word like Somech Hashem L'chol Anofalim where Hashem supports us. And the obvious question is what do you mean the king of Bava supported us? Like support, like you could lean on them. And say the great Hasidic Rebbe's that we need to know what's the objective of the exile. The objective of the exile is ultimately for our benefit, to get closer to Hashem. And how does that happen? We need a long discussion. We'll make it very brief. When we had a base on Migdash and the Shekhinah was so palpable, it was so easy to connect Hashem, we didn't have to do a lot of work. Not only did we take it for granted, but it came easy. And sometimes when things come so easy, you take for granted, you don't even realize how special the situation is. But when something special is taken away, and you realize what you're missing, and now that causes you to dig deeper into who and what you are, and to see what kind of relationship do I really have with Hashem? Is my re re relation superficial? That only when he's near and close can I have any kind of relation, but maybe then I take it for granted. Or is the relationship so deep that even if I don't feel the closeness, I understand that there's a tremendous connection that is there. Oftentimes when we are challenged, when it's not easy, because sometimes even though even the Shekhinah coming can be seen superficially, but then when it's gone, you have to ask, well, do I really have a relationship with Hashem? Is it deeper than surface or not? And of course, we want relationships that are much deeper than superficial. And a Jew can, has to ask himself difficult questions. Now that there's no base ministry, is there no God? Or maybe there is a God, but maybe God wants me to find him in the deepest parts of the, of the recesses of my neshama. 
that I could see more and more. And that's the samach, the support. To realize that in every difficult situation, really greater things can happen. Greater understandings of HaKadosh Baruch Hu can happen when their miracles don't exist. Because then you got to dig deeper into seeing what kind of relationship do you have. It's no different than in a marriage. I've said this story once and I'll say it again. It's a story of a family, a husband and wife married many, many years. And unfortunately, the wife developed a very severe case of dementia. She didn't know who anybody was. And the husband, and they were married like over 60 years, and the husband would come every morning and give her breakfast and then leave. And the people in the nursing home would say, I don't know why you're coming. Your wife doesn't even know who you are. He says, of course, she doesn't know who I am, but I know who she is. And I love her. And I'll love her till the day I die. Now, is that a relationship? Is it, you know, using the analogy of Shekhinah, is the wife radiating a Shekhinah to the husband? No, nothing. Husband gets something in return. But the relationship is so deep. Even though I get nothing in return, I still love this woman. It goes beyond that superficiality. Now, Hashem doesn't have Alzheimer's. But sometimes Hashem has to leave us that palpable presence for us to reevaluate and say, what is really important in my life? And to find a deeper connection to Kaddish Baruch Hu. And maybe not only to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but if the Shechina is in Golis, then how about when I look at another Jew? Do I see the Shechina in another Jew? Do I see the Tzalem Elohim in another Jew? Do I get along and I love every Jew? Will I make the effort to schlep out to a wedding in New York to go for another Jew's having a simcha when I'm invited? These are the things we have to ask ourselves. Am I there to help another Jew when he's in trouble? Something very interesting happened a little while ago uh, during the past week that I'd like to share with you. Former President Donald Trump appeared at a recent Torah Umesora President's Conference. And in his message, he read excerpts from an excellent article by Rabbi Dove Fisher that listed Trump's many accomplishments for the Jewish people in the state of Israel. And the audience clapped as the former president listed what he had done. For example, stopped the Iran deal. Lots of clapping. Moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Lots of clapping. Shut down the Palestinian embassy. Lots of clapping. And so it continued until he mentioned his commutation of Shalom Mordechai Rubashkin's sentence five years ago on the last day of Hanukkah. And with that, the audience rose and gave him a sustained standing ovation. And the president didn't understand why. He asked, is that more important than Iran? And he kept coming back and wondering, why is this getting the most applause? And he kept coming back many times to that speech. Now, this, that was the opportunity for Jews to give the answer, but we knew the answer. What is the answer? Because Shomer Bashkin is our brother. 
And because at the end of the day, despite our difference, we care deeply about each other as brothers do. And when Rabbi Sholem Mordechai was away, we davened for him, we followed the case, we attended rallies, we wrote letters, we contributed to the legal fund, and were genuinely disturbed by the injustice. Rabashkin was personal, he was a brother. If you remember many, many years ago, the Antebi plane that was uh, kidnapped, Jews around the world davened for the welfare of the hostages. Rab Chaim Shmulevitz Echrona Levracha, the Rosh Shiva Shivas Mirnir Shalayim. He arrived in the base medrash to deliver a shmooz about the situation, but he never came out and said anything. Why? He stood at the Yomad in front of the large room and began to speak. He said two sentences and then became so overcome with emotion that he wasn't able to say more. And this is what he said. If the prisoners would be your brothers, think about how much kavana you would have as you say till him for them. And after expressing that thought, he began to weep and through his tears he cried out, and they taka are your brothers. That's all he said. He didn't have to say any more. That idea of understanding. And that's a, why is it so hard to understand? Because on the 10th of Thomas, the Neshama, Mamish of Klal Yisrael left. The Shechina left. The palpable. Oh, Hashem hasn't totally left. But in a way that we can feel it clearly has left. And that creates so many difficulties. And that's why we haven't been able to reverse this. And now we can understand why this is such a such an important day. As a matter of fact, the tenth of Teves, since it says in the Torah, on the essence of this day by the tenth of Teves, it shares in common with Yom Kippur, where it says, And that's what Avudraham says, just like Yom Kippur could push away Shabbos, so could the tenth of Teves. Why? Because Yom Kippur is a day that all our Averas become mitzvahs. All the negative, terrible things that happen, but our core comes out on Yom Kippur. And the core of Yom Kippur is even deeper than Shabbos. And the 10th of Teves, the beginning of the demolition of the Jewish people. The beginning of very difficult times, but it's only meant to be transformative. For us to grow from this. And this is how the Shemi Shmuel answers the questions that he asks about Yosef. And it says, when he saw, when Yaakov saw the wagons that Yosef sent to carry him and not to bring him down, says the Shemi Shmuel, the whole day of the wagons, what makes a wagon a wagon is the wheels, and the wheels turn around. That's why it's called an Agalah from Igul, a circle. And what do you know about a circle? A circle has a top point and a bottom point. And as the wagon moves, the wheel of fortune moves. So we understand when you get to the very top, you got to be careful. It can go right down. And when you get to the very bottom, that can be the beginning of going up. And that has to remind a person that even if he's in the lowest state, the lowest, not to despair, but to take heart. Because when you're at the lowest spite stage, then that means the beginning of the renewal can be happen. 
And also to be careful when you're at the top of your game, spiritually, you got to be careful. Maybe that's the top and I'm going to start going down. And you got to be watching that you may don't make that the final top of your game. And that's what Yosef was hinting to Yaakov with the wagons. He says to his father, don't feel bad that you're going down to Egypt because this descent will be an ascent for you. And that's why he said not the wagons take him down to Egypt, but to carry him, which is an expression of elevation. And when Yaakov saw that, he understood the hint. And therefore he understood if Yosef could give me such a hint, that's, that's what he did with his whole life. And when Yosef meant when he was at the bottom, he knew that it's going to come back around to the top. And he had, you have to have such a great humility to understand this. And therefore he knows, he has no question about the righteousness of Yosef. That the Medrash says that every time Yosef was the same Yosef, when he was sold into slavery, the same Yosef when he studied by his father, the same Yosef when he's in front of the wife of Potiphar, the same Yosef when he was giving food to all of Egypt, the same Yosef when his father came back, the same Yosef who took care of his brothers. It was always the same Yosef because he understood that it's all opportunities from Hashem. And the Sivisi Hashem Lenegdi Tomit was so strong. No matter where you are on the wagon wheel, you understand that Hashem is the one who's turning it for us to maximize that opportunity. So a boy's side, we should not be cruel to ourselves. The world is in very challenging times. Every week becomes more challenging the world sinks a little lower. The Jewish people in general are sinking lower, unfortunately, the assimilation. The challenges we're having in the winter, it's a hard time to come out and do mitzvahs. We have to realize that these challenges can end. And the Beis Amigdash can come back. But we've got to go to the core issues that are holding it back. We have to ask ourselves, how much do we want Hashem back in our lives? How much do we want Hashem palpably in our lives? And the only way, and talk is cheap in a dream. It's cheap. We've got to do things. As we're dealing with the challenges of being in Gullus, the challenges of a recession, the challenges of anti-Semitism, the challenges of our avoda in the winter, and it's tough. They're all there as great opportunities to be somach, to support us, to greatness, to become the people that we're meant to be. And therefore, we have to look at little things in our lives to really show that we care about Hashem's covered and that we really feel Hashem is near us. On the simplest of levels. It's the winter time. And we come to, Baruch Hashem, those who come to Shul are amazing people. I was so, so happy. When I saw so many people came to Shul last Shabbos, terrible, freezing cold weather. Unbelievable. It's great. 
And yet, the Yetzer has to find a way that we're trying so hard to trip us up. And it's always an issue. You want to feel Hashem's presence palpably? One of the places is in a shul. And that's good. But there has to be tremendous respect for a shul. If the mamish believe that Hashem's presence is mamish in that shul, and to have a tremendous reverence for the shul, and I understand, you know, going through the snow and, and the cold and this and that, that itself shows you have reverence. But then, you know, one more little thing, one more little thing. Our boots, our shoes are all covered with snow and dirt. And then unconsciously, we walk into the shul and make all kinds of salt deposits all over the shul floor. Dirt and filth. And the question is, we know if you would invite me to your house and I would come in with my boots and my snow and my salt on your beautiful living room carpet, you'd not be happy with me. And I understand, you know, when we go to shopping stores and things like that, everyone goes in with their boots because it's a public venue. That's good. That's, I guess it's okay because the Shekhinah isn't there. But you're going into Hashem's house. The only place where a little bit of the screen is there. The question you have to ask yourself is, why do I walk in and bring in this filth? Now, on the one hand, see, this is the dream. This is the dream. We, we love Hashem and we're willing to go through terrible weather for Hashem. And then just to, to make sure you have a pair of shoes to take off your boots. And put on shoes that have not been in the snow. Somehow it, there's a disconnect. So we don't have to start, you know, this uh, ambitious pursuit to feel the Shekhinah and bring it back with great things of giving of our lives and studying hours for Torah. How about a very simple thing? Bring an extra pair of sh shoes. Or even offer these little paper uh, slippers to slip those on instead. And I, I bought a pair of Uggs before the winter season. And they fit, but I, it's hard to put them on. And when I go to shul, I have to put the Uggs, I have to have a, 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 a big shoehorn. And it takes me a minute to put those Uggs on. And then when I get to shul, it takes, it's hard to get them off. It takes another minute to put my shoes on. How much time? I spent $120 for those Uggs. Best investment. Two minutes it takes me, and I go to shul two or three times a day. Two minutes to show what? That when I go into God's house, I will not dirty it. That God's house is not Sobeys. Forget about not talking in shul. We're very good in these things. But such subtle little things come into the shul. Which just we walk in, you should feel... Wow, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is here. And that's why you brought Hashem here, Amen, Yeheshmei Rabbah. But unfortunately, every day, we have to clean all the salt deposits off the floor. This is a simple way. Can you imagine? Two minutes a day, you fulfill the mitzvah of Yiris HaMikdosh. Reverence for the temple. 
$120 for the year in the last few years to show I'm doing that bitafka. Yes, it's inconvenient, but what don't you do for one that you love? For things we want to do, we're much more inconvenienced. How many people were standing out for hours before the stores open on Boxing Day this week? Don't got to do that in the shul. So I ask us all to, to use our very great understanding that we have and to pause and think what the Shabbos is about, what the brothers reunite. If we really want to care about other Jews, the only thing that's going to make us care about them is see the Kedushan every Jew. And the only way we're going to see the Kedushan every Jew is see the Kedushan of Kodesh Baruch Hu. And by doing these small steps, they'll become big steps. And when Hashem sees we really want Him back and how we treat other Jews and how we clap more for Rapashkin than anything else and how we're so grateful to our Grade one Rebbe who taught us all base because that was the clarity of everything. The Mashiach will come very quickly in our times. Amen. Thank you all for listening.